I just want to start with a scripture is totally not what I had prepared, but I think we need it. <laughs> so Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, mighty and impenetrable to temptation, a very present and well-proved help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains be shaken into the midst of the seas, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling and tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of here. And that's what he is showing us. That he has this heart that he would be in the midst of us. And everything that we are is formed because of who he is. We need to know that it doesn't matter what is happening around us physically. It doesn't matter what is happening emotionally with the people around you in your own self. That God truly is a rock and a refuge and our total fortress. And the word that, that word is so deep embedded in me because it's one of the first words, I, in fact it was the first word I brought here way back in October a couple of years ago. And then, if you remember, he was speaking very specifically about wanting us to live in that place where he is in the midst of us. And he was telling us then that I'm shaking. There is going to be a shaking. When we get a physical shaking, I guess it gets our attention, perhaps more than what actually he's been doing anyway, because I think we tend to be very earthbound. And so we notice things in the physical, and it really gets our attention. But actually... Right back then and before then, he has been calling out and saying, I am shaking and you need to have your anchor in me because now I'm giving you time to sort your stuff and to make sure that the only thing that's holding you in is me because a time is going to come that if that anchor's not strong, you're going to fall by the way because your root's not in the right place. So one of the things that he is building is who he is in us, in the position of unity. And I want to do something entirely different. We have to slightly transform what we were going to do. But this is a journey for us to walk on together I really had um, a, a major sense of this. This is not me preaching some amazing revelation that I've got. Absolutely not. It's us together exploring his word and seeing what it means to us as a body, as a community.
And um, so I'm actually going to require each and every one of you, if you please could humour me by being flexible enough to move out of seats when I ask you and actually um, do some things corporately together because um, that is where I believe God wants to show us, to, for us together to journey on this. Um, and the first thing I want to just bring out, I'm, I'm going to use a few people just to bring some sort of symbolic resemblances um, that, that can um, fix in our mind a bit more. So I would like to introduce for the night Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So, um, Enwar, here's Father. He carries the Father heart of God, eh? That's why I, I thought, yeah, Enwar's the one. And the Son, Jesus, Russell, this man, boy, life just flows out of him. And Holy Spirit, Haley, <laughs> oh, she's everywhere, doing everything. Okay, so this is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we know that our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but how many gods do we worship? Give it a voice. Yell it out. How many gods do you worship? One. Right. Okay. But I see three. But it's only one. Here we have what is everything that he is, he is building in us as far as unity has come from him, his personhood, his nature. There is nothing that we can add because he is one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always worked together in this amazing relationship of love and fellowship. They never do anything outside of what another is desiring or what their plan is. They work as one. And there we, you don't actually need to look any further for the personification of unity. It's there. It's very simple. So I just want to go through a little bit of a story is one that we know really, really well, um, and that is um, the account that we have in Genesis of creation. So um, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is in the process of creating. Okay, So he creates a whole lot of things. I'm not going to go into lots and lots of details, but there's light, there's land, vegetation, sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, livestock, Creeping things, wild animals. And after he's created all the things, what does he say? Yell it out. It is good. good. Absolutely. Indeed. So, then he comes to a point, and we're now in Genesis um, 1.26. And he says, let us, God says, let us. Make mankind in our image, after our likeness. And you know the word for God in all this account is a Elohim, which is the plural form of God. So it's very clear it's God, three in one, in this process. And three in one make a decision, let us make mankind in our image. Okay? So we've got, um, we have an addition. 
So they call out our Adam, our first man. Oh, he's going to do a strike. Look, look, look. He's coming out here. This is the first man. Woo! Yes. Come on, give us some stances. Yeah, he looks... You'd think, like, they've, they've made man the pinnacle of creation. And you'd think, okay, he's going to say, what was he going to say all the time? No, he did not. Interesting, isn't it? He actually said it is not good for man to be alone. Because his original intention was never that man would be alone. Because in man being alone... Unity is not created. Do you see? His image is not formed in one person. So his, his words were, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So, at this point, I need some more cooperation. So God is going to take Adam into the Garden of Eden, and for the purposes of tonight, this middle block is the Garden of Eden, okay? So Adam is taken into the Garden of Eden, and what I would really like is everybody on this side to be representing Adam as well, and you move to this side of the middle block, if you possibly could for us. That would be just awesome. Possibly not. Are we right in the second row? Or maybe the third row, yeah. Okay, thank you. It's awesome that you're, you know, willing to do this. <laughs> okay, so he's he's got this thing that he needs to make a helper, right? So he t- takes him into the um, into um, the Garden of Eden, and there's a big long process of showing him all the animals and all the rest, and and Adam has a good time naming all the things. I just would have loved to have been there. Like, I love animals anyway, but naming some of those funny-looking dudes, that would have been really hilarious, like hippopotamus. Oh, yes. Um, so he's he's done that and found that there's no one suitable for him. Okay? So he then causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. We won't do that to you tonight. And takes a part of him out of his side and causes Eve to come out of that. So we're going to, Haley, if you want to go and grab, by the way, she's not Eve, I shouldn't call her Eve, she's the woman. She wasn't Eve until after the fall. (coughs) So, now, we've got, Adam can go and sit with Adam. Sorry, they're newlyweds, see, they, they were the obvious choice, the beautiful and the handsome man, newlyweds. So Adam's going to go and sit with Adam, and somehow we've got to get all of Eve into this side of the Garden of Eden. Can you join us in the Garden of Eden? That would be great. Yeah, yeah, yep, you can go and join your Eves. And God can sit down. Do you want to, do you want to sit here, or? Sweet, you can stay there if you're happy. Sorry, I'll have my back to you a bit. Um, I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Now, there is... I meant to illustrate something. But anyway, 
what, what happened in Genesis 2, 23 and 24, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then there's this really interesting voice, quite significant if you think about it. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become, how much? One flesh. Okay, so that is meant to be part of this unity. Now, at this point in Genesis 1.31, God says, not it is good. He says, it is very good. Yes, it is very good. Okay, so it was worth the wait, wasn't it, to get the very good. So we've now got unity and oneness of design is established. Okay? And God blesses Adam and Eve, and he shows them all that he has given them. Okay? So um, in verse um, 9 of Genesis 2, it says, The Lord Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now, this is where um, we will improvise. Under the seats that were already here, you will find some fruit of Garden of Eden if you want to go searching. Do you know where the rest of them went? Where did the rest of those fruit bursts go? They're not there now. Absolutely enjoy the fruit of the garden. Absolutely. There should be more coming. I gave them to the muzos and they've disappeared altogether. Does anyone know where that bag of fruit boost went from the top? Okay, Clay's nicked them. (laughs) So while you're chomping on your fruit burst, I want you just to meditate for a little tiny time on what was that like. What would it have been like? to be Adam and the woman in the Garden of Eden. They wouldn't have been cold. Of course it wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have been cold. Absolutely not. Right. Okay. So, I'll just go to a copy. Okay, so we've got, um, what are some of the things that, that is, is happening in the Garden of Eden? Use your imagination. Growing. Lots of things are growing, yeah. What about the animals? Don't you think it would be quite fun to watch the animals producing their little babies first time around? And, yeah. I'm a bit of an... <laughs> and I reckon that at least once a day, God was walking with Adam. There's a verse later on that's going to show us that that probably was happening. So um, what would they have been talking about? I mean, heaps of stuff. But all the experiences they're sharing, they're, Adam and the woman are getting to know each other. They're getting to, hey, look, I really like, I really like that food off that that um, plant there, that's, do you want to come and taste it? And they'd be exploring and 
in just in awe and wonder, in worshiping God, just it, it just was exuding all the time because they lived in that in that place. It was highly interesting, highly exciting, and they were discovering new things and just um, enjoying that fellowship with Father um, and, and marveling at the amazing things that he'd made, and it was just flowing out of them, yeah? So, very cool. So, <laughs> pity that it didn't stay that way, as we know. Um, so we have the serpent come along, and um, the serpent probably looked a little different than a snake these days, they reckon, but um, Satan had taken the form of a serpent, a serpent and he starts talking, because the serpents don't usually talk. But anyway, he, was, he started talking, and I reckon probably um, that Adam and Eve had, you know, they, they were sort of, interested in the people and the, the animals and stuff. But somehow he got into a conversation with Eve in the form of the serpent. And the interesting thing is that she didn't run away from him. So there was a familiarity, I think, probably, um, that was there. And she he starts... Um, questioning Eve about what God said regarding the one forbidden tree. And she chooses to linger with him and listen and meditate on his cunning suggestions and think about them. And she lets her eyes roam over this tree. She should have run, shouldn't she? Hmm. Take heed. But anyway, of course, she makes the choice that she's going to take the fruit of this tree and she eats it and she immediately shares it with her husband. So now I'm sorry you've got so comfortable, but I need to illustrate something, okay? So for the purposes of this illustration, we have to imagine a huge tree that its outer branches are spreading from here way to here. Okay, so Eve is going to go and take fruit from there, and Adam is going to take fruit from there. And I actually want you to 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 go to the very far ends of the, particularly the first four lines of seats on either side. If you could possibly do that for me, that would be great. God gets to stay in the middle. Okay, so what this is to illustrate is that not only did this fall, this decision, separate man from God, but it's actually separated man from man, right? And we often don't realize that. 
And here we just get the unfolding of the story. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? When God was coming to walk with them every day, they were running to him. I just know it. They were running to him. Look what we found, look what we found. And they were sharing things with him in such eagerness. And suddenly they're running away from him and they're hiding How excruciatingly painful for God. You can hear the language change. It it breaks my heart to actually to, to hear what's going on. Because you've got, in one moment, you've got... They, they realized they were naked and they heard the sound and they went and they, they, um, you know, made coverings for themselves. But as soon as the unified presence of God turns up, the genuine deal of unity, the language changes in Adam. And he says, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Why didn't he say we? See, something inherent happened at that point. Separation happened. Suddenly, there was no we, it was me. They they had been doing things together. But the genuineness of the real deal of what unity is, when it actually came, it showed up that that togetherness that looked like it was together, so in the fig leaves and all that, actually wasn't a heart togetherness. Because their language actually showed where the heart was. And it was I, I, I. And then he even goes on. And he says, uh, God says to him, um, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Right there is an opportunity for Adam to repent. Right there. He could have said, yes, I did, and I'm sorry. But what does he say? The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. An opportunity to repent, and yet turning it into a blame session. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Which is true. She hadn't actually been given that command. 
Adam had. She didn't even know what the fruit, of the, the, the name of that tree was. She just said it was the tree in the middle of the garden. So I wonder if he had actually downloaded what, what God had given him at the beginning. Makes you wonder, eh? But she still made the choice. She knew it was wrong. When sin was committed, shame and guilt came. And separation between man and God was the result of the fall. But also we see a separation between people. Now, this is where I need LJ and Dave to do an awesome job of microphone holding. Um, under the seats in the, the edge two seats of the first four, four um, rows are envelopes on that side and that side. Should be 15 in all, so whoever's there, if you can just grab them and then maybe just stand up and when a microphone comes, we'll just maybe start. I just want you to stand up and yell them out. These are the results of the fall. You'll recognize them as a list, I think, eventually. So just listen to these words in terms of how they ref- they affect relationship and unity both with God and with each other. And think, maybe ponder about the prevalence of these things, whether it be in our lives or even in the, the contemporary Christian church. Right, go for it. Stand, just stand up. Anyone who's got an envelope, stand up so we can see where you are. Impurity. Yeah, yeah, whatever. It's quick. Drunkenness. Factions. Witchcraft. Discord. Fits of rage. Fornication. Idolatry. Hatred. Selfish, amb- selfish ambition. Adultery. Peace. Envy. Orgies. It's in the Bible. I'll show you where. Uh, There's heaps. I didn't realize there was any jealousy. Yep. So under the first two end seats of each of those. Right, I'll quickly go through them in case we didn't get them all. Adultery, impurity, fornication, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. The Bible describes these as the fruit of the flesh. They are listed in Galatians 5, 19-21. Now, when we listen to that, we're sort of, oh, you know, I'm not drunk, and da 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 da, and I'm not in an adulterous relationship. And then you get to things like jealousy and hatred. You see that this is rampant in all of our fallen nature. Yeah? Hands up, yeah. <laughs> ah, it's clear we need help. Agreed? Okay. So. Now, we know this story. 
And this is about Jesus. He can stand up. He came to restore our close relationship with God and also to restore and reconcile ourselves to each other. And we need to realize that it's twofold, not just one. Sin made Adam afraid of God's presence and afraid of God's voice. And ever since Adam, men run from God's presence and don't want to listen to his word. But we have to remember we are still made in his image. So we actually, inside of us, we do want his presence and we do want to hear his voice while at the same time we're afraid of him. God has come to us and in Jesus personally taken on himself all of our sins, showing the full extent of his love. And I'll just read this scripture because I just think this is the most beautiful scripture, Ephesians 2, 4-7. But God, so rich is he in his mercy, because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful intense love which, with which he has loved us, Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. That's how we come alive. It's only in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him, for it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. And he has raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come, including 2013, the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor in his kindness and goodness of heart towards us in Christ Jesus. Now he's removed shame and guilt. And it's our godly sorrow for having lost relationship with him that leads to us to repent of our sins and now we run back to him. So we're going to run back? Thank you. Let's run back. We're running back to Jesus. And what motivates you to come is him. You've got your eyes on him. Always, always, always. Now there may be an envelope on your seat here. Please just hold it and retain it for later. Don't use that yet. You're a great Jesus. You're encompassed. His arm is not too short to save. Right. Are you okay? You can drop your arms if you like. You can even sit down. How about that? So his, his, Jesus' call to oneness, we're now going to have a look and like if if you who was here this morning? Oh, that's awesome. If you weren't here, please make sure you listen to that message from Clay. 
because he's got so many nuggets of of the the work that Jesus did to bring about this unity, the teaching that he did, the the um, teaching not just by word, by by action, and all the things that um, it's just absolutely rich, absolutely rich. But we we saw in that message all the things that he was doing, especially in that time just before he went to the cross. Absolutely incredible how he emphasised the importance of them being unified. Um, so he was addressing it in all these different ways, and and we, I'd be reiterating what we did this morning. But that command to love one another as I have loved you is central to the whole thing. The the extremely important insight into his heart for us is that John 17 that we heard this morning. And um, it's exactly the same passage that um, Clay brought. It's the um, verse 20 to 24. And this is Jesus praying for us. And it's absolutely incredible to actually ponder the fact that as Jesus was praying that prayer, he saw us. It blows me away. And not only did he see us here, but he saw everyone that has come before us and everyone that is going to be after us. And this is what he prayed. That they all may be one, just as you, Father. Can you stand up, you guys? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe and be convinced that you have sent me. This significant unity that is his character, that is his name, the Lord is one, is permeated into us And it is that very same characteristic that shows the world that Jesus was sent by the Father. That's how the world will know that this is the real deal. Because this is not fabricated in any way. It's the real deal. We saw that and how it showed up falseness when it turned up. I and them and you and me, in order that they may become one and perfectly united, that the world may know and definitely recognize that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Whoa! That he has loved us just as he has loved his son. We tend to have a very individualistic concept of our relationship with God. We see it as an entirely separate thing from our relationship with others. And I'm beginning to see that this is not the way Jesus thinks and it's not his model. There is a revelation of himself that he will only give his unified body, as we walk humbly seeking him together. And I am 
seeing it afar off in its minutest taste. But there is there is a lot for us to enter into that we have no idea. What we think is unity most of the time is not this. It's not this. There is much to be formed in us in regards to the unity of the Spirit. And I know at this time, in this place, in this community, he is leading us into truth about this. We need to be listening and we need to be obeying. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to put the flesh to death, the fruit of the flesh, that can be dealt with. That's not just this thing that is always going to be a problem. He's given us the power to overcome because the the flesh is never to be reformed. The, The flesh is to die. And he has given us the Holy Spirit to give us the power to overcome the flesh and live in the Spirit. And we can then produce his fruit. So, there should be nine envelopes. Can people who've got envelopes now stand up? And let's just listen to the fruit of the Spirit. You probably know them very well anyway. Kindness. Okay, big loud voice. Kindness, yep. Faithfulness. Patience. Goodness. Self-control. Joy. Love. Absolutely. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are they not all relational words? It's not just a, well, I'm filled with love. It's like, what? What is it for? Who is it for? So, we've also got not only the fruit of the Spirit, but we've got the gifts of the Spirit. And Jesus said he ascended um, on high and he distributed gifts to men. Okay, so there's gifts coming your way. But if you happen to receive one of these gifts, not everyone's going to get one. And that's not a biblical thing, by the way. It's just that. I didn't have enough money. (laughs) Yeah, it's not to do with performance. I want you to think about who and what is this gift for? Is it for you? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. Is it for you? You'll notice that the nature of the gift is it has lots of bits to share. And the gifts that God gives us, what are they for there to build us as a unit? Are they not? So they're actually not for us? A lot of people want gifts in this community, don't they? Exactly. So do feel free to share your gifts. But while we're busy watching to see whether we can catch a gift... (laughs) 
Come on, Jesus, hurry up. Here he goes. Right, Jesus, come and stand. Ah, oh, you're wonderful. Thank you. My favourite. Okay, who were we looking at when we came from separation into reconciliation? Jesus. Who are we continuing to look at as he is building us into one? I saw you all looking at your gifts. Be careful. Because that ain't the way of oneness. As soon as you start looking at your gifts, or even at the gift that someone else has got, we have gone. (laughs) See, we came to that together, didn't we? Yeah. So, thank you, Jesus. You're awesome, awesome. You can go sit there. So, I'm nearly finished. Something that can stop us coming into his unity is our modern Western mindset where we seem to be obsessed with how he sees us individually. Having gone through this process, does that not seem rather ludicrous now? does to me, because he doesn't see himself individually. So how come we're so obsessed with that? The self-focus actually is part of that fleshly nature over there in that place of separation. It was what came out of Adam, wasn't it? I, I, I. And these two scriptures give us the keys to overcome that. Colossians 3, 2 to 3. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ain't no room for an eye anymore. Yay! The fact is, that when God sees us, he sees one body first, not a group of individuals. We need to get that. We really need to get that. It doesn't mean that the individual is not important, but it is certainly not first. He sees one body. He sees Christ's body. And I just want to end what I'm saying with a picture that um, he gave me in May of this last year. And it's it, it links up with that song that um, we sang um, about one voice. And I, I, I really saw it so clearly that he is listening for one voice. One voice. This one voice is made up of each and every person's heart singing out 
not just a few. And the, the most similar kind of picture that I get of this is if, I, most of you know I'm an orchestral musician, so I have sat under amazing conductors, but I reckon that it's like God is not just a conductor, he's the composer-conductor, and you occasionally get conductors that are the composer. But he has this incredible ear, so he's got the most amazing orchestra choir of how many million, billion, trillion over the, over the ages. And his ear is so tuned that he can hear that voice there, that voice there. He can hear the balance of that section there. He can hear what they are doing. And he is really not interested in the one prima donna. Doesn't even figure. He is interested in the one voice. And the one voice will not be the one voice until all the voices are doing their bit. And remember when I'm talking about a voice, yes, it's an articulation of our love, but out of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. So actually it's a heart that's engaged and in, in absolute adoration. Whether it comes out in a, in a physical thing we can hear is the secondary thing, yeah? So he's looking for those hearts that are tuned. And he is composing this as, as he is conducting. Because he, he's not dull and boring, and it's not just an, you know, it's gotta be this way all the time. So there's this thing where all our eyes again are on him. We're watching his every move, his, and as he's bringing out this, and he's bringing out this, and as he, and he's, as he's doing it, he's calling forth the voice, the heart, the things that all of us bring. And he's waiting for that, because he's waiting for the one sound, that hearing of that one sound, that will only come when we all, absolutely every one of us, engage. So, I just want to leave us there. I want us to remember the, the basic thing about this is that everything about unity comes from this, who he is, his nature. And the way that we can partake of any of this is by looking at this, not looking anywhere else, and by walking together and realizing that there is so much more for us to understand about how he is revealing his nature, and how that is going to unfold out of his body.